Welcome to Stories with Drinks, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from our favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And I'm Tyler, he, his, him. And we are diving into a very interesting teenage experience, a time of change and learning more about yourself and learning more about your experience with others. And it's a really true educational experience as we dive into the world of sex education from Netflix. And oh, it's it's such a fun show and yet so real at the same time. I, I feel like this is one of the shows that really do show like a genuine teenage experience without yeah. hyper-sexualizing to the extreme or hyper-drug use to the extreme. Like they do it, but in a very like real way. But, I like, would the, say- The main issues on hand. Are I would say pretty well. Yeah, I would say it's it is hypersexualized mm-hmm. uh, because I mean, uh, and my roommate and I joke about this when we watch the show. Like, there's a couple making out in the background of every scene in the school. Oh, that is so so true. Yes. <laughs> uh, and while people do show PDA in high schools, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily to that degree. Yes. Because they're they're like they're heavy petting. It's not mm-hmm. just making up. Making like there's out. there's yeah there's some stuff going on. So. Yeah. Just in compared to some of the other teenage-based shows out there right now. Yeah, oh, for sure. I would say it's definitely more down-to-earth than, say, a Riverdale. Yeah. Right? Uh, And they approach the topics with a sense of reality where you've got characters who are living in poverty, characters who are dealing with parents who have Mm -hmm. drug issues, characters who are dealing with parents who have no boundaries, characters who are dealing with, you know, characters who are dealing with being abused in several different ways or mm-hmm. bullied in different ways like it it approaches these real life topics from a very realistic point of view yes and i so genuinely appreciate it about this show specifically and as i get to know you question tyler mm-hmm. i was thinking outside of like our personal family dynamic of sex sure. education what do you remember from like the school perspective of sex education for yourself oh wow um yeah I mean, all right, let's drag, let's drag the place <laughs> I went to school. Uh, so I, I am from uh, Central California, the San Joaquin Valley originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am from specifically the Fresno area. And for those of you who are not familiar with California and its many uh, subcultures, so to speak, that area of California is extremely conservative and mm-hmm. very Christian specifically. The city that I grew up in, uh, there we had a large Mormon population, a large Christian population, uh, and uh, so it it was uh, that kind of a thing. You hear about these schools like in the South and the Midwest where it's abstinence-only education. We had, you know, our health classes met the state mandates, so California state mandates are actually pretty, you know, liberal as mm-hmm. California tends to be. Uh, so you have to learn about things like condom use and pregnancy and all that stuff. However, there was always a very strong lean towards abstinence only as sort of the way of going through it. So, so to speak, uh, I took health and, you know, health and human development, which would have been like your ninth grade, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of social studies class. I took that as a summer class because I was taking multiple electives. I was taking Spanish and, uh, band, so I had to take summer classes every year of high school. So I took health in the summer. And 
I got a truncated version. So I will say that my experience may not be the same experience as everybody who went through my high school. But from what I can remember, uh, the women or the the young ladies were shown the um, similar to a scene in sex education. They were shown the you know miracle of life birth. Yes, video. I do believe that's what the the VHS tape is called. It's miracle called the miracle of life, life right? Yes. Yeah. So they were the, shown let's scare that. girls into not getting pregnant video. Yes. Exactly. Right. Like this is how horrible, this is how horrible birth is, but we'll call it the miracle of life. Uh Anyway, it's a fear tactic, right? Uh While they were being shown that the young men were being shown a video of um, basically the physical experience of many different STDs. So the same fear tactic, but for people who can't get pregnant, Uh essentially. Uh, And it was divided in that way where it was very binary. Men go this way, you know, biologically, if you're male, you go to this one. Biologically, if you're female, you go to that one. Uh, my, when I was in high school, there was still, uh, men weren't allowed to go to dances together. Women were because, mm-hmm. you know, girls, if two girls go to a dance together, they're just, just good friends. friends. Yeah, yeah they're just, just really, really good friends. friends. Yeah. Uh, but if two guys go to a dance together, automatically that's gay, right? So mm-hmm dumb, horrible, really homophobic thing, but that was the kind of vibe that was going on at my school at that time. So it was very, you know, binary focused, very hetero focused, um, extremely, extremely what you would expect from a conservative sort of right-wing version of sex education, which we do see in the third season of Sex Ed uh, and felt very real for me mm-hmm. watching that and going oh yeah that's what it was like mm-hmm. right. I know for me which is another reason I wanted to bring this up was just because as two people who identify as like opposite sex spectrums and whatnot like my sex education quote-unquote in school started in sixth grade when they made oh, all sure. the boys leave the room and they sat down all the girls and had the conversation of what would happen if you got your periods at school. Sure. And the boys were like, why do the girls get their own special meeting? And I think they were just like allowed to do dodgeball outside. Like they didn't get their own talk about like anything. Um, and that's kind of like the beginning of this is private. Don't talk about it and sure. their secret codes and there's like you can trust the male teacher he will understand uh, yeah but if you don't feel comfortable just ask him to go see one of the female teachers because in my elementary school sixth grade had four different teachers and they helped they taught you like that rotation idea um even though it wasn't junior high yet yeah and uh and then so i got it in sixth grade a little bit and that was it was just the what if what if you got your period at school and then in high school, because I did take a semester of health because it was, I think, two and a half years of PE and a, and a semester of health. You at my high school, everyone saw the video, um, including the guys, but you had to get family permission to do so. So everyone had to get a permission slip if you were doing the sex education portion of the health semester. Yeah. And uh I remember like they, they showed the video and then everyone saw the, just the pictures of what would happen if you got an STI or an STD. Um, But it was, again, just very much the scare tactic slipped into your basic health class. 
And outside of that, it wasn't really talked about. I would say it was still very much the just don't do it. This is what happens if you do do it. And growing up in Orange County, it wasn't like it's such a mix of very conservative and very liberal viewpoints. And I would say I was in a more liberal area and yet it was still very conservative, quote unquote, we're teaching to use protection, but the first step is just say no. Um, And then outside of the public school system, I also got the sex education talk from my church, which was the absolutely, you don't even think about another person until you are married. And um, it was very much the female youth director's wife took all the girls aside, the male youth director took all the men aside, and you were taught to never think about sex. And it was not a sex education health protection. It was, this is why it's morally wrong to have sex before marriage. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to have so many different viewpoints being taught at one time throughout many different phases of growing up. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, it's Cosmo magazine in the back of your friend's closet looking at the quizzes and like the, oh, wait, this is something. Sure. <laughs> so. Sure. Uh, and I think the, uh, the other piece of this without getting really, really personal, mm-hmm. Jen, in your opinion, does abstinence only sex education work? No. Yeah, me either. I don't think that no. it works either. No, 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 no. And I can do it from, I can talk about this from a, uh, someone who has, you know, grew up in a spiritual based home and was a part of a church program for a very long time. I know when it was like when I had more leadership roles and the youth director would come talk to me about, can you talk to the girls about not, I straight up said, no, like, I'm not going to teach that because I want them to know that they have a right to this, to say yes or no. And they have the right to make sure that protection is being used. And we're going to talk about this from a realistic standard because the idea of the forbidden fruit and the idea of, you know, so often individuals in my life who did had only abstinence, only education later came to me and said, I don't know what people are talking about. And I feel stupid. Mm -hmm. I feel confused. I don't know what's happening. I was never taught what these terms meant. And now I don't know what's happening. And I think that's, the issue, like, say no, say no. Like, if you're going to wait till marriage, that is completely fine. That is your personal choice. Abstinence only um, is a form of birth control. But let's also educate people. Yeah. I think Jean is the mom's the, name. Yeah, the mom, Jean. That idea of, like, basic education is what it should be down to. And I think uh, her her little stance, her monologue stances on that are awesome in the yes. school district. Jean has her own issues, but yes. (laughs) Yes, she has many of her own issues. I almost picked her because she's got some really interesting stuff, especially for somebody who's a therapist, but I decided not to. Um, Well, with that then, as you do have a new client. Mm -hmm, I do. Tyler, who are you talking about this week? Sure. So I'm talking to one of the students of Moordale High in this very interesting John Hughesian high school that is British, but very American at the same Mm -hmm. time. Uh, It's kind of weird in that way. But as always, we're going to come at this from a lens of California law and ethics, because that's where we practice. So 
I do not know the local laws and regulations for therapists in Britain, but I will say that I'm going to approach this from this way. Uh, so the person I'm seeing is 17 years old. She is a cisgender female. For what I can tell, I'm going to list her as pansexual, but whatever label she wants, that would be kind of where we'd go. But I would say pansexual, given what we're, what we see in the show, um, pan or bi somewhere on that spectrum, complicated relationship status. Currently she was just until recently dating somebody, uh, but right now they're having a bit of a rough patch. So she doesn't quite know what to label that as she is a student and in her free time spends her time writing erotic fiction. Mm -hmm. And I am talking about Lily Eagleheart. Uh, who is, you know, just our favorite nerdy band member, kind of strange, and I mean that in the best way possible, uh, believes in conspiracy theories and aliens, uh, and really has spent a lot of the last couple of years of her life really growing and trying to understand herself and sex in general better, uh, and has been doing that through the form of fiction and through writing comic books and stories and a musical at one point. So she's very creative, very artsy, uh, and a client that would be right up my alley mm -hmm. in, in life. This is what the kind of people I love talking to. So, uh, but we'll, we'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself as I often do when talking about the types of clients that I'm passionate working with. So I, I approach this a little differently than I normally do. Normally I'm like, these are the things we would do. This is the therapy we would do. And then there's a little bit of that here too. But instead I sort of broke it down into more of an in-depth look at specifically what's bringing her into therapy at this time. What is the history she has surrounding this stuff? And then what are we going to do? So this one might be a little bit longer on my end. I don't know. My, I got more detailed on my notes than I normally do. So here we are. So the inciting incident is that Lily found out recently that her girlfriend doesn't believe in aliens. That's one thing. On top of that, one of her stories was made public at her school and everyone is shaming and making fun of her for it. And on top of that, she has been forced by the headmistress of her school to wear a sign that labels her as dirty and disgusting for the things that she's written. So we're talking season three here, uh, about midway through. And first things first of the inciting incident stuff here, the things that her headmistress is doing is reportable. That, that is emotional abuse of Absolutely. a child. Absolutely. She's, she's 17 years old and she is doing this really cruel thing. And we have evidence of it because there's a written sign in the handwriting of... Mm -hmm her headmistress, including, and there's video of an um, assembly where this happened as well. So we know that there's some clear abuse here. Reporting would be happening immediately just for that. That is the only thing here that's reportable. Uh, having a girlfriend doesn't make her reportable. Her being sexually active doesn't make, isn't reportable. Her writing erotic fiction is not reportable the emotional abuse of making her wear a sign labeling her as dirty and disgusting for all of her peers to see and then forcing her to not talk to her peers for a week is very, 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 very reportable and would make probably the public news uh, mm -hmm. in, in anywhere else that isn't a scripted comedy show. So 
there's that. And then I would want to talk about what this is doing for her. How is this relating to her feelings right now? Right. So right here, right now, Lily is like, I'm not going to school. I feel ostracized. I feel made different. Even my girlfriend thinks that I'm weird and I don't feel like a normal person. I don't feel like I am functioning in the way that is normal by society standards. And so then we dig into the history of what's going on here. So to say, oh, interesting. Tell me how long you've been feeling different from the people around you. And she would tell me the story of how she was bullied in her childhood for being different because she's always sort of been this way. She loves aliens and conspiracy theories and what possibly is out there. And she doesn't come at it from a place that is like out there or having a lack of knowledge. Like when she explained it to her girlfriend, she tells me that she told her, well, we live in a really vast infinite universe. It seems really unlikely that we're the only life that exists. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense to me. Like, that's how I think about this stuff. It's like, it's almost guaranteed aliens exist. Now, whether or not they are close enough to us and advanced enough to us to communicate means something totally different. But the fact that they exist, yeah, it's almost guaranteed, you know? So that would be kind of where I start with her, but then digging deeper into what about feeling ostracized? What about feeling different? And to find out again, she was bullied throughout her childhood. She's been bullied by her peers in high school. She even feels different from her family and says that she's heard her mom saying things like, even I don't really understand Lily. And what does that really leave you feeling? Because for me, that would make me feel really alone more than anything else. Like nobody understands. And so that becomes the main goal of our therapy together. The main goal of our therapy together is just giving her a place where she can be herself without any judgment, without any shame, just to be as Lily as possible. And to have me treat her like I would treat anybody else and not treat her differently because she's who she is. And that that is goal number one. And it's a really wonderful goal because that's basically what you should be doing with your clients anyway. Absolutely. So it's, it's super helpful <laughs> to just give her this space. On top of that, though, we're going to dig into this a little bit. And so the first thing we would do is assess where's her actual shame level with this? Because she feels different. She feels alone. She feels ostracized. But does she actually feel shameful or guilty for writing the things that she does, for believing the things that she does? And she doesn't. That's why the, you start there, right? It's like, do you actually feel shamed about this? She's like, no, I love this stuff. It's really awesome. I just feel like I'm tired of being ostracized by the people around me because I like this stuff mm -hmm. and I want to be, and I don't want to be different anymore. I do. I want to be accepted and to go, Hey, look, I get that. And you're a teenager. And that makes total sense for where you're at in life. Like this is normal for your age group to wanting to be accepted by peers and all this stuff. And is it possible you can be accepted by people for just being who you are? And if she can't hold on to the hope of that just at the moment, because she is at a pretty dark place, that's okay. I can hold on to that hope for her until she's ready for it. So then as we're moving forward with this kind of discussion, I would just like build rapport with her through discussing the stuff that she creates and not shaming it, not judging it. Just be like, tell me about what you've been writing lately. What's been going on? And with people who are creative and artistic, I love talking about this stuff. Because most, because 
you really can't hide who you are when you are making something. Mm -hmm. It is really such a reflection of who you are at that time internally and what you create is reflects your mental space and what you're feeling, even down to the choice of what are you making or what are you making it with, right? I have a couple clients in life who love to make art in various different forms. And I love talking to them about their art. What did you make last? What's the last thing you painted? What's the last thing you wrote? What's the last song that you wrote? What was it like? Was it sad? Was it happy? Was, you know, what was the vibe you got from it? Because it tells you so much about a person just based on what they make. And to not necessarily break confidentiality with any of my clients, I'll talk about me. Because uh, I, I love making. I think that's also why I connect to people who do this. I love making stuff. Most of the time I make stuff through cooking, uh, but I also paint. I also sketch. I also make music apparently now, which is something that was new to me. I write D&D. So like there's so much stuff that I, I just love that is about making things that, you know, for me, I have like degrees of how bad I'm feeling kind of reflects what I'm doing. If it's just like a basic, I need to take my mind off of something, I bake. Mm -hmm. If it's uh, something where I'm really, really emotionally going through something, I paint. Uh, and I tell clients that all the time where it's like, if you, if my, my friends know that if I'm really going through a tough time, I'm going to have flecks of paint on my hands because that's what I've been doing to keep myself busy uh, and to express what I've been feeling. So anyway, we would talk about her art. That would be what we do a lot of the time. Tell me about what's going on on that planet with that really sexy space alien. Tell me about what's going on there and not shaming her for it and just exploring it and letting her tell her stories in session because that's how she's going to move through this. Next would be the deepest part, the, you know, the, the really emotional, heavy lifting part of this, which is deconstructing her narrative of being different and reconstructing it into something strengths-based. Because right now it's a zero-sum game for her, right? She's losing every time that she's reminded I'm different. And if we can reconstruct it into something else, reconstruct it into I'm creative, I'm unique, I have a voice that is purely mine, that is coming from a place of strength versus a place of this is distancing me from other people. And she can gain some confidence. And yeah, I have a unique voice that is mine. And this is the stuff that I love to make. And if you don't like it, hit the road. I don't want you in my life. But again, always coming back to that main goal, giving her a place to be herself. No judgment, no shame, just 100% Lily. And giving her a place to try 100% Lily outside of her life and then take that, move it out into life. And in life, she might go from being 40, 50% Lily to being 60, 70% Lily. She may not get to 100% in life and that's okay. It's about just allowing her to understand this is who I am genuinely and it's okay to be this way. And if she throws something at me that's like a little out there or a little weird, I'm not gonna react in a way that's going to be like, wow, that was wrong. You shouldn't have said that. Or, wow, that's really horrible. I'm gonna react in a way that's like, wow, thank you so much for telling me that. Uh, and I have talked with uh, supervisors in the past because they joke that my, my demeanor in session is so calm and neutral. Uh, and it comes from my acting background where like, I can mask what I'm feeling in session, 
uh, in life, I have a really hard time doing that. Uh, but in session, I'm really good at it. And, it, you know, saying like clients never really get angry with you. They never really yell at you because you never challenge that. Right. It's I'm always super neutral. And the, the more co- confrontational a client gets, the more neutral I get, mm-hmm. the deeper that I get into not reacting at all. And for Lily, that would be really be the, the mood, right? It's either reacting positively when I genuinely feel a positive connection with her or not reacting at all. Like it's anything different than just what I see on a day-to-day basis. And I would remind her that like, yeah, the stuff you're saying is sure. It's sexual. Sure. It's you exploring sexuality and that kind of a thing, but it's probably not the weirdest thing I've heard today. Uh, and it's definitely not the weirdest, weirdest thing I've heard all week. Uh, I, and- I definitely use that as like a calming technique of, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm a therapist. This isn't the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, oh, thank you. I'm like, even if it's like, let's say the weirdest thing I heard, it's not the weirdest thing I'm ever going to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so it's no big deal. <laughs> well, and with my career path so far, it's definitely not the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Right. <laughs> uh, and it will, it will, nothing she says will be able to top the weirdest stuff that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to just kind of like build a place that's friendly for her. And, you know, this goes into a little bit, something I actually didn't have in my notes, something I didn't plan to talk about, but where my mind is going, this goes into like being poly friendly and kink friendly yes. and, you know, open to all sexual orientations, effectual orientations, gender identities, all that stuff in your sessions. It's about just accepting the person as they are and opening up the space for them to be hundred percent genuine. And it's okay if you don't understand what's going on. Like, I think especially within the kink space or within the poly space, I've had to learn a lot from clients because mm-hmm. it's not something that I naturally have a lot of, you know, a lot of information about. Uh, and I've had to learn a lot about what is, what goes on specifically for certain things, right? Because it's so I'm- It's important to yeah. remember that we're not the expert in their relationship or their dynamic within any sexual play. So of course we need to ask, what yeah. does that look like for you? Yeah. And that's the other thing, right? If you assume just because somebody says, well, I'm into bondage, you assume like, oh yeah, they like ropes or whatever. It could be that, like, no, I like mm-hmm. being tied down to the table or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> There's different versions of different sexual things and topics like sex are so taboo in our society that if they're not allowed openly, genuinely in the therapy room, it doesn't feel like genuine therapy to me. It feels like you're, you're re you're recreating societal norms that are not necessarily healthy because this is the thing. And this is something I wanted to say in the intro, but now I got to work it in here. Love that for me. If you make a topic taboo, it doesn't stop it from happening. Yeah. And if you talk about something, the more you normalize it, the less likely it actually is to happen. Absolutely. And whether it's, you know, teenagers and sex, if you just normalize, yeah, sex is a thing that people do. And if you don't wear protection, you could catch a disease, you could get pregnant. Uh, Or if you don't take, you know, take protective pills, whatever it might be for you, whatever that version of, you know, birth control and or infection control works, looks like for you, that's a normal thing. And just make it normal and a part of your everyday conversations it's not this taboo thing that people are super curious about and then go in with no information about. Right. Right. And I could say the same thing about stuff like substance use. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could say the same thing about stuff like suicide because all these topics are things that we are like, these are bad. 
they are just bad and you should not talk about them. And really, the more you talk about them, the less likely they are to occur, the less likely they are to actually endanger somebody. Uh, and if you don't think teenagers are using substances, having sex, having suicidal ideation, you're wrong. Like even flat if they're out, you're not wrong. personally, they know people and they're yeah. talking about it and they're questioning it and they're thinking about it. Yeah, these are discussions that come up often. And it's not our job as therapists to be like, you shouldn't talk about that. You're, you're under 18. How dare you? No, treat it like you would treat an adult, right? Like if an adult tells you, hey, you know, I'm smoking weed on the weekends. Why would you act differently for somebody who's a teenager only because it's their age, right? Every other adult in their life is going to freak out when they hear that. So since you're their therapist, you're supposed to be different than every other adult in their life. And it's not to say like, you don't tell them, Hey, there's dangers with this. Hey, your brain is developing. Like maybe don't get stoned out of your mind, but also I'm not going to tell you don't do it Mm -hmm. because I know that that's not going to work. So instead we're going to talk about why are you doing it? Are you doing it because your friends are doing it? You want to look cool. Okay, sure. Are you doing it because you're trying to avoid an emotional experience? Whatever. Now I'm just getting into general teen therapy but it's you know I, this is they are teens and sex yeah, ed though <laughs> they are and this is a age group that i love working with mm-hmm. i have so many teen clients right now and i'm very happy to have them uh and it is primarily because like it's such an interesting group to work with because adults treat them like kids but they don't feel like kids anymore mm-hmm. and so to be like hey you're dealing with adult topics guess what you get to deal with them like an adult And talking to them from a place of, I'm not going to tell you no, I'm not going to tell you don't do that. I'm going to tell you, hey, make an educated decision. Here's what happens if you do this stuff. But also, I'm not going to be like, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I think it applies to even adults because I've worked with 20-somethings, young 20-somethings. And the, can we talk about sex? Can we talk about drugs? Can we talk about these things are sometimes what we first have to talk about in therapy sessions because there still and are cultural norms that you don't talk about this with authority figures. Am I going to get in trouble if I tell an authority figure? And we are an authority figure as a therapist, mm-hmm. even. And then later, like I've worked with people later in life and in, you know, a different stage of sexual exploration in their life. And it's, can I talk about this with you? Are you going to be accepting of it? Or are you going to be comfortable with it? Because you are younger than me as the therapist. Yeah, let's talk about it. It's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. So that's Lily. Yes. <laughs> and with all of that, then, what made you pick Lily? Well, I went, I was having a hard time picking characters this time. Uh, for most episodes, I'm usually pretty decisive of like, this is who I'm doing. Um, but I was having a hard time because there's so many characters I love in this series. Mm-hmm. And there's so many characters who need therapy right. <laughs> in this series. <laughs> I thought about doing Adam because he's probably my favorite character in the show. Um, Adam Groff, he's great. I thought about doing Mr. Groff, Adam's dad, because he's got a great arc as well. But I I thought about doing Adam's dad and I was like, we had just recorded Miracle Max and I was like, oh, I I just did an older guy working through confidence issues. I probably should switch it up a little bit. So then I was like, okay, well, who else could we do? I thought about doing Jean because she is a therapist with really horrible boundaries mm-hmm. and really bad ethical boundaries that would actually be 
cause for getting her to lose her license. Absolutely. Um, there are a couple times where I got really angry with her over the course of the series because of how unethical she is. So I was like, oh, that would be kind of interesting to explore. And then I was like looking at the characters again and I was like, oh yeah, but I love Lily. I love her as a character. Um, again, that artistic creative stuff is stuff I love talking about clients with. Teen characters love talking about, you know, teen clients absolutely love. Uh, clients in the LGBTQ plus community right there within the wheelhouse. Like literally she is a, she is somebody that would be on my caseload and I have people on my caseload now and previously who remind me of her. Yeah. And so I was just like, yeah, I want to talk about this stuff. Kind of throwing myself a slow pitch uh, to, get, <laughs> to go through with this one. But again, to kind of go into that deeper, what, what are we really looking at here with her? Okay. Is it she's sad because her peers don't accept her? No, it's because she's felt ostracized her entire life. Right. And how can we make this a place for her where she can not feel that way for the first time? Okay. Uh, and I've seen that happen with people and to watch that emo emotional release of like, oh my God, I'm accepted here. Mm -hmm. is so important so that's why all that and more I'm all that sure. and more no thank you and it, she is such an amazing character and goes through so much and again kind of talking about at the beginning of our episode how well they handle a lot of the issues and not stereotype or hyperize something what she goes through throughout the, sh the show as a secondary character she's not one of the like the top yeah. three is so valuable and they don't they don't shy away it's not like we kind of get a tidbit of her story and then it's like okay that's it um they do they do highlight all the students so well and give them absolutely space I, and it's something i haven't seen the, the last couple episodes of season three my roommate and i are watching through it together mm -hmm. but something at least so far that i really give a lot of credit to the show is that they have these teenagers going through really deep dark big emotions yeah and there hasn't been a single storyline about suicide yet mm -hmm. uh, and again if that changes don't tell me i don't want spoilies um but i love that because so many teen dramas resort to the stuff like that mm -hmm. and to be fair suicidality would be very real amongst the sage group and yes. there are a couple things that happen in in every season where i'm like okay this is the storyline we're gonna get it mm -hmm. and then it doesn't happen um, with Lily's season three story arc, I was like, oh, like as soon as she was like not going to school and staying locked up in a room, I was like, oh, she's, oh, she's in danger. She's in mm -hmm. like, she, her life is in danger. And then it turned out, no, she wasn't actually. Yeah. Um, and with Adam Groff, one of the other characters, yes. uh, he, you know, he has a couple of instances where he's an LGBTQ character going through learning to accept his sexuality going through learning to find his place in life because he's always been sort of the screw up. Mm -hmm. And then he, you know, kind of finds where his niche is and who he is. And there's those, there's a lot of times where it's just like, you're a screw up. Everything is wrong with you. And again, I was expecting a suicide plot line and right. it never happened. Um, so I want to, I think that the show does a really good job of showing teenagers and I, obviously these are adult actors, but teenagers quote unquote experiencing and living through harsh realities without making suicide the plot right. with it's being like no instead you're going to process what you feel and you're mm -hmm. going to live through your feelings and you're going to move on to the other side and grow from it 
even like, showing teenagers yeah. that you can go and talk to an adult you can go and find people to talk to you can talk to your peers about these big issues is important for other teens to see yeah absolutely so yeah, yeah that's well, that's you. that and with that we will be taking a break but shortly after we'll be coming back with some more stories and strengths talking about another character from sex education Hey y'all, this is Jennifer. We wanted to reach out and let you all know that we are on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories with Shrinks and on Twitter, Shrink Stories. We post before episodes, little sneak peeks about what we're talking about and trying to engage more with our community about the topic. You can find that and join the story with us online. Welcome back to Stories with Shrinks, where we are talking about characters from sex education. I just wrapped up working with Lily and Jen. I believe you also have a new client here at Moordale. I do. I do have a new client. And what's interesting, this is actually a transfer client as I'm taking over a colleague's caseload as she goes off for maternity leave. And she, you know, brought, came up to me and asking like, Hey, I'm going to be going on maternity leave. Can you take over some clients? And I was like, absolutely. And this would be a common thing that therapists do whenever we have to take a leave of absence. We don't abandon our clients. And we make sure that anyone who would need continual therapy or want continual therapy has resources in order to get those needs met. So this specific uh, client, and again, given what Tyler said about we're going to use California perspectives, even though the show doesn't take place in California, but that's where our knowledge base is. Um, So with that said, my client is a 17-year-old female heterosexual cisgender based on our perceptions within the show itself. And she is a student at Mordell Secondary High School who has been receiving therapy after sexual assault. And we are talking about Amy Gibbs. And she wanted to continue therapy as she, and sorry, Tyler, this will be spoilers for you because I am talking about near the end of season three. So you may want to take off your headset. No, (laughs) you're good. Okay, cool. He's giving me the, nope, continue. Um, She recently broke up with her boyfriend and she wanted to continue talking to a therapist as she transitions to empowering herself to learn more about herself. She originally came in, and this is how I handle most transfer situations, is I don't like to just get a file, read everything that's happened, and make a perception about who I am going to be working with. I want to give an opportunity for the client to come to me and say, like, you know, we are, we are changing the person in the room. And I want you to build a rapport with me. And I want you to be able to come to me talking about what you want to talk about, not just what I assume you left off with. So I'd ask her first, you know, what, what do you want to talk about today? And start building that rapport based more on the here and now of you just broke up with your boyfriend. That must've been really rough. Can you want to talk about it? And talk about how difficult it can be to break up with someone that you still have feelings for, that you still care about, that nothing quote unquote bad happens. I just realized I need to be single for a while and how it can be even harder to break up with someone in that way, especially as a student who you're still going to see this person at school and you still want to be friends with, but you're taking a different role in their life. 
So giving her an opportunity to just process the feelings that come with grief in a breakup. And I specifically talk about breakups with clients in a perspective of you're not just breaking up with the person that you identify as your romantic and or sexual and or whoever they are to you partner. You're not just breaking up with that intimate relationship, but you're breaking up with the friends because you're not going to be able to talk to them the same way every single day because they may not be ready for that. You're breaking up with the person that you sat next to at lunch every day. You're breaking up with the person that you were mad at at times. You're breaking up with the person, and I use this analogy a lot, like if you were engaging in sexual behavior or just intimate sleepover behavior or just sleepovers in general. It doesn't have to be sexual or intimate at all. The person you pass your glasses to at night to put on the nightstand and kind of getting used to that motion without that secondary person there anymore. So when we have mixed feelings in during a breakup process and during the grieving process of a breakup, you have to grieve every authentic version of that relationship and give a space for every version that person was in your life. You know, if they were the person who you called because your mom was bothering you and they were absent again for that one thing in your life, or you you don't have a prom date anymore or whatever it looks like, we're gonna grieve all aspects of this relationship and understand that there might be some days that we miss him. And there might be just some days that we're really mad at him and give a space for all of that, that all of that is authentic. And then grieve the part of you that was quote unquote, the bad guy. It's hard to be the one that breaks up with a person, especially in these kind of situations where there wasn't a direct cheating or hurtful action or instigator of, you did this to me, I'm over it. She wanted to spend time on her own. She wanted to be single for a while, figure out who she was as an independent person, especially as they are, I do believe going off into their senior year of high school, I think they're just juniors and really trying to figure out what's the next step in my life. And how do you, how do you come to terms with the narrative of you are the one who broke someone's heart and that doesn't make you the bad guy. That doesn't mean you are a bad person to be able to do something that was solely just for you. It's not selfish in nature to break up with someone because you wanted to be independent or you wanted to be single or you just needed space. So really look at those key narratives. And that just might look like her coming into the office and telling me about how her week was and finding ways to just provide simple reflections of here and now processing of feelings. And, you know, as you're talking about him, you you're smiling or you're crying what's coming up for you right now as you tell me this and this would be again building the relationship it's so interesting when you have a transfer client because they're already kind of bought into the idea of therapy they they have a sense that this is a good safe place this works but you're still getting to know me as a therapist versus the person that you were working with so then thing i would ask is what did you like about jean what did, what did she do for you in sessions that you liked? What were things that worked really well? Um, did she use a specific questioning or tool that you really liked? How would that look like if I used it? Or I could be honest, you know, I don't use that modality. This is what I do. Can I talk about the differences and similarities? And then I would also ask her, what didn't you like about that relationship dynamic? What are things that you would want in a therapeutic relationship that maybe you didn't know were possible? 
and kind of give her a space to talk about the pros and cons of her previous therapeutic experience and letting her know that you have the right to go back to Jean when she gets off maternity leave. You don't have to stay with me. I'm just kind of like the substitute teacher here. And you get to make that decision and really empower her. And yes, she is 17. She can still consent for herself. And from what we understand, she is consenting for her own therapy in this show. And you get to stay on here. You get to leave. You get to go back to Jean. You get to be empowered with your decision-making process within your mental health. So again, coming in with the here and now, the breakup, possibly best friend dynamics changing and being away from possible best friends and what is it going to look like going into your senior year and really just talking about here and now dynamics. And then as she feels more comfortable with me, talking about the assault and the her relationship with her body and her relationship with sex. And what I talk to clients about, especially clients who have had previous therapeutic experience or, or quote unquote, I've already talked about that. I've already processed that. And I say, that's fantastic. I'm happy that you have found a way to process and get, gain some closer closure through that experience. With that said, I want you to know that it's okay to continue talking about it if you feel like you need to. You know, we might be talking about X, Y, and Z. We might be talking about your boyfriend or let's say you met a new guy at the mall and you have feelings for him. How do we process that? And then all of a sudden you were really afraid to put yourself out there. Or yes, you're, you're traveling on the bus again, but you only sit down. You don't stand up on the bus. Let's talk about that. And what I use is a metaphor of with your previous therapist, you may have been processing the trauma from the perspective of when you look into a house through the living room, we process everything in from that window. And we looked at everything and we saw everything in the living room of that trauma. And we came to a lot of good closure and peace and empowerment through that lens. Now we're talking from the perspective of the kitchen window and we can see the living room through the kitchen. So we might have to talk about it again. We might have to see how the living room is affecting the view of the kitchen and kind of use that house metaphor of, you're right, we're not talking directly about the trauma, but it's probably going to come up. And you get to share as much and as little as possible. And kind of going back to what I was saying at the beginning with the idea of I have the file, because we do, usually there is a transfer of um, confidential information paperwork. This is when I would ask at the beginning, do you want me to read the notes of your previous sessions or would you like to tell me yourself and your perspective of the events? I have no problem going back and reading and kind of catching up on the quote unquote story of everything that happened. And I, I will totally do that with your consent, but I don't assume that even though I have the file transfer, they want me reading everything that was said. Um, Cause they might want me to, they might have a new perspective of what's happening that they want me to know versus what the perspective someone else said. So I kind of leave that up. And then there's always, it depends on scenarios where I'm definitely reading the case file from the previous therapist. And other times I would leave it up to the client and be like, yeah, I don't need to read everything that happened between you and your other therapist because that was your relationship with her. I want to form my relationship with you. So again, giving her that time to reprocess as a single, non-committed individual, the trauma that occurred. And specifically what it was like to find empowerment through your group of friends who helped you 
get back on the bus and how we can use that same group of friends at times to help us get back on any bus metaphorically speaking, and how we can use that group of friends to process the breakup and to continue talking about things that have happened and things that will continue to happen and what it was like to hear that other women have gone through similar issues. And a part of our job at times is also to provide resources. So I'd want to ask, do you want to get connected with maybe a group of other teenage girls who have gone through similar situations? And connect her with support groups because it can be really empowering to hear that you're not alone in these experiences that others have gone through this and are processing this because sexual assault can be such an isolating experience and I want her to have the space if it is just one-on-one with me in a therapeutic setting or if it's in a group setting with other teenage girls of this is what happened to me and this is how I've been able to process and give her a chance to do both or just one and let her feel, I think the key here is feel empowerment in her decision-making as she kind of comes off and describes herself as maybe not the smartest, not the quickest. And she really doesn't want to feel that way anymore. She wants to feel like she's capable and strong and empowered and knows what she wants to do with her life. So giving her the autonomy to make as many decisions on her own as possible and support her through those and guide her through those, making sure she's like, you know, giving her information. If maybe a decision sounds really unsafe, we'll talk about that. Like that doesn't necessarily sound like you have all the information. Let's make sure we're making decisions based on as much information as possible. But again, giving her a place to really empower her as she enters 18, as they start to really face the questions of what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Which personally, I think is a ridiculous question to ask any 18 year old, like pick a major and pick a career path and pick everything right now at 18. We're not supposed to know what we want, but she took an aptitude test and thinks she wants to be a baker and great. Let's empower that. Let's, you know, get her resources to possible like summer community center classes on baking and cooking and what really let her start to explore who she is outside of relationships as she is a, a teenage girl who has gone from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship which have all pretty much been sexual in nature and feels that that's what she has to give to be valued in those relationships. As she described that when her last boyfriend asked what she wants and what she likes, it was kind of off-putting at first because she didn't know what to say. She'd never been asked that before. So again, I think the key for her would be in an empowerment lens, a very feminist approach of what do you want? for yourself and how do we make you feel most empowered and comfortable and able in your body as a female and that would be my approach with Amy for my time with her and really just give her a foundation of you can do what you want to do and you can feel safe to do so and give her that foundation again of feeling safe in her own body awesome thank you so much absolutely and yeah there's I, I I loved going into the uh, what happens when you're the substitute teacher right. <laughs> uh, in the therapy. And a lot of the times, uh, just to go back to like you're talking about sharing case files and getting the story mm-hmm. and that kind of a thing. It depends on the therapist you're getting a case file from also. Uh, to just talk about the behind the scenes of note writing a little bit. Right. On the therapist. Some therapists are really detailed in their mm-hmm. case notes. Uh, and we'll have the full story there 
There's aren't. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am one of those who isn't. Yes. Uh, so, I'm also very vague in my notes. Yeah. and you won't get a full story from my case. Yeah. Notes. So if somebody took a case file from my of mine and had to try to recreate sessions from it, mm-hmm. they would have a harder time. They would yeah. know basically what we talked about and what we did, but they would not know the details of someone's mm-hmm. trauma story specifically, like. And I'm very mindful to leave, not purposely leave important information, like ethically writing my notes appropriately. Sure. But I'm not necessarily going to put deep, dark secrets down in my case notes. Nope. Because things get pulled all the time for court cases, for family matters. Other people may read those. And that's none of anyone's business. Yeah. And and in California, your client can ask for stuff from their record. And as long yeah. as you as the therapist don't think it'll harm the relationship, you're, you have to show them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I can just talk really quick about how I structure notes, which is uh, I always say session focused on whatever the main general topic we talked about. Uh, So for example, in this case, right, session focused on discussion of clients' reactions to a recent breakup would be that sentence. Next sentence would be themes included, client grieving loss Mm -hmm. of relationship and processing of that grief narrative. That would be it. Right. Because then the next one is therapist did this. And often it's, you know, uh, for me, it's like list, you know, reflected list, reflective listening, validating Mm -hmm. clients, emotional and process and feeling reflections. (laughs) Yeah. You know, stuff that is very vague and very general. Mm -hmm. And then next session is on this date at this time, we will specifically talk about this. You know, or we'll continue to discuss this, whatever. So that's a very vague example of what we're actually talking about. And uh, I would say on the extreme end, understanding that this is a TV show, Jean's case notes are much more, I am writing a book about my clients. Uh-huh. And aren't appropriate in its nature. Yeah, as I would clinical say clinical medical process notes. Yeah, her clinical notes would be way long Mm -hmm. uh which is also why this is a fictional show because no therapist on the planet is writing case notes that detailed uh because hers are extremely detailed to the point where when there's a a scene in season two i want to say season two yeah where her case notes get copied and distributed to a in a public venue Mm -hmm. and it's so specific that everybody knows everybody's stuff yep right where in like if my case notes, please, whatever powers that be forbid, uh, if my case notes were ever made public, nobody would know what the hell we were actually talking about, which is purposeful. If my Mm -hmm. case notes get subpoenaed, I do not want a court case in which everybody knows exactly what's going on with my client. That in my opinion is too damaging to the therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. so yeah, a little dose of reality there, but I, lo- I like that you approached that because it's a, it's something we don't really talk about on here. We, we're so focused on character, client interaction that we don't really talk about the behind the scenes stuff a whole lot. So I enjoyed the, uh, that you brought that up. Uh, but all that saying, what made you pick Amy? So when talking about sex education, I actually knew kind of faster than I did even for like our previous episodes uh, that it was going to be between Amy and like one other character. And then I was scrolling through Instagram and I want to say April and we are, we record ahead of time mm-hmm. um, or one of the previous months was um, sexual assault awareness month. Yes. And that solidified my decision. And I was like, we, 
um, in the fact that we have a specific month for this issue and we still don't talk about it enough that sexual assaults from the smallest degree to the largest degrees occur way too often. And I remember watching the scene where all the girls are de- in detention and they, the one thing that every girl had in common was unwanted sexual touch. And it's so true. And it was a really impactful scene for me to watch as um, an identifying female because it happens. It happens. And mm-hmm. catcalling is real. Um, slaps on the butt are real. Groping is real. Um, unwanted rubbing is real. And her story is so, so common. And the idea of an awareness month sucks in the fact that we only, we have an awareness. There's an issue that needs an awareness for a month. But then also sometimes we forget to talk about it the whole rest of the year. And these aren't issues that should just be highlighted for a month and then be like, okay, now on to the next issue for the month. Like, no, these are topics. Every topic that has awareness to it and needs awareness need to be continual conversations. So hers is a continual conversation that can be had. And um, it's something that is like, I remember in high school, um, just some of like the common joking behavior, like looking back, it's like, no, that wasn't okay. Like it was like, no one asked for that. And that wasn't okay. Um, and uh, the, the stereotype of the drama department behavior or the band room behavior or the choir room behavior, it happens. And I know like I would have, like oh let's snap the bra or try to unhook it while giving a back rub or like patting on the shoulder it's like whoa wait a second thinking back that yeah that wasn't okay yeah <laughs> those things shouldn't have happened um and so often it is just jokingly passed by mm-hmm. and um i think in high school and into adulthood like again these things happen so often that we learn to just jokingly pass it off as like oh it was no big deal and yet we wonder why we feel so uncomfortable in our own clothing at times. And I think each girl's story that they talk about because it happened at a variety of ages and scenarios of like catcalling to being exposed, to being rubbed on, to feeling like you're getting followed at night is such an ingrained, like the, the amount of safety talks that we get as girls, like identifying females and or anyone Um, but I think, you know, I'm like all the times I've been told, oh, like when you're walking alone night or day, make sure you have your keys in your hand or easily like keep a head, like don't put both headphones in always make sure you have one headphone out so that you can listen to see if like a car is coming up beside you, or if you have anyone following you don't walk at the same path every day. Don't walk at the same time every day. Even on school campuses, I was told walk a different path every single time you go to a different class so that no one really knows who's where you go and you can't be followed. Hmm. Um, And most of my identifying female friends have had the same lecture. And it's, it's, you know, we were talking about this in group supervision once of all the, all the different ways us girls have been taught to not get roofied or um, to get our drinks like perpetrated in any way. Like it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it is. And it's unfortunate. And it is definitely something that is still an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking as somebody who's identifies as male was, you know, raised male. It was a super, like super shocking to me when I started making female friends and like started hearing this stuff and be like, oh, 
weird because dudes don't get taught any of that. Yeah. And we're and we're not necessarily uh in danger everywhere that we go. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not for stuff like that. Um it's like the stuff that I think about when going out is like, okay, I can't get too drunk because I need to drive home or mm-hmm. I can't get too drunk because I don't want to get into a fight with somebody right. like stuff like that, uh, which is a very different problem to have and a much, uh, you know, easier thing to navigate than I'm worried for my safety every time I leave the house, right. not just at night, all, t- all the time. Right. I had a male friend once like come up and like surprise me from behind and oh, then get no. really mad about why I went to swing my bag. Yeah. And I'm like, you, you don't do that to a girl. No. <laughs> One, you shouldn't do that to anyone because you don't know the trauma response that someone could have just in general, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that's just, yeah, an anyone thing. Don't sneak up and surprise people from behind. Uh, no, no, no. You, you might not like the reaction you get. <laughs> uh, and also the other thing is like, it's, it's just not cool to, to physically touch somebody without their consent, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that that's the other piece there as well, but yeah, I, you know, we talk it to, you know, we talk about the me too movement and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, most women, the very vast majority of women had something like this happen to them. Mm-hmm. And one, as a society, we need to do better. Uh, and two, listen and believe women when they say this stuff, because right. it happens every day. Anyway. <laughs> and with that said, it yeah. happens to men too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So For I don't sure. want to discredit experiences that are happening to men, non-binary, trans, the whole, sp- it happens to everyone. Specifically yeah. in talking about Amy's story, we're talking about the female yeah. stereotypical Female experience. presenting people, for yeah. sure. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree that yeah, of course this happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. And again, we need to do better. Right. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's really frustrating, especially this topic where it's like, really people, we can't, we can't do better for a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yes. So <laughs> that's, I that is really why I specifically rails. picked Amy because it's an important, it's an important topic. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for bringing it in. And thank you all for listening. If you liked what you heard, leave a review, leave a thumbs up, depending on your platform, whatever that might look like for you. Uh, If you're on Spotify, you can answer our get to know you question yourself. And please go follow us on Instagram at stories with shrinks. We just passed a milestone of 100 followers, which I know seems small, but it was really important to us. us. Yeah, so so it's been really wonderful doing this, and we plan to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care. Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com.